Welcome to Episode 9 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show is recorded Friday, December 15, 2006. Hi everyone, this is David from the Fredcast. Just to let you know, the audio in this show is not up to our usual standards. We had a bunch of glitches throughout the show, people dropping in and out, feedback, echoes, all sorts of problems. We did the best we could to get it cleaned up, but nevertheless, the content is top-notch, as good as always, as we get ready for our year-in-review show. So without further ado, here are the Spokesmen. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. Actually, today we're going to have to call ourselves the Spokespeople, and you're going to find out why that is in a moment. But first, let's interview the folks that are on the show with us today. Joining us for his ninth episode, you're, you're the only one, by the way, of the group who's been here for every single one, and I appreciate it, Carlton Reed. Hey, Carlton, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you, and... Uh... I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, you are. You are the. You and I are the only ones that have been on every episode, so uh, that's kind of fun. We're the oldest. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm the oldest. Okay, next is uh, Tim Jackson, the Mozzie guy. Tim, how you doing this morning? Not too bad. Not too bad. Excellent. And the whole reason why we're calling it the spokespeople today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Ms. Donna Tosi. Donna, hi. How are you today? Good morning and happy holidays, everybody. Hey, great. Donna, so I have to say, before we get started, it was, you know, we, we get a lot of emails from, from our listeners saying it's great that, that you've got all these these great voices on the show, um, these people who are total geeks about cycling, but they're all men. Let's get a woman on the show. So when I started looking around, your name was at the top of everybody's list. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do and, and why you're so perfect for this show? Well, I don't know if I'm perfect for the show, and I'm completely flattered that my uh, my fellow spokesmen have uh, chosen me, but um, I think they may have chosen me for a little different reason, that maybe I am not the, the bike geek that they would be, and I, I say that with all affection, as Tim and Carlton know, um, but I am the marketing manager at Kryptonite, which is, if anyone doesn't know, we are a lock manufacturer, actually the innovator of the bicycle U-lock. And um, before I've been there about seven years, and before that, I did some stints with um, some sports marketing and some diversity marketing. So I have a very, uh, if you will, diverse background. So um, maybe I'll bring a little different perspective into the into the podcast. You've got a blog as well. Tell us about that. I do. I have a blog called Tidbits and More, which is tidbitsandmore.blogspot.com. And I talk about a variety of things there. Cycling tends to come to the top, but also a lot of marketing-related posts, um, some event-related posts, because that is my background, and I love talking about events and how to put on events and how to promote events. Um, but you will also find that I do slip into uh, one of my favorite things is NASCAR, so I will slip into talking about that a little bit and some motorcycle stuff. Um, so it's kind of a hodgepodge, but usually try and get it back to a little bit of a marketing um, flavor. And then, of course, I do contribute to um, the blog that Tim started, which is uh, our crew site, was what we call it, and it's um, bicyclemarketingwatch.blogspot.com. Who else uh, contributes to, to that blog besides you and Tim? Well, at the Dad. moment... <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> we have uh, Tim Grawl is one of the contributors as well, uh, as well as... Chris Lesser, who is a former staff writer for Bicycle Retailer and is now a new writer and editor, technical editor, over at Bike Magazine. Wow, that's great. And sorry, what's the address on that again? It is bicyclemarketingwatch.blogspot. Or just look up, shut up, and drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> just out of curiosity, um, and I, I, this is totally off topic for the day, but but you have me intrigued now. What What was the purpose of starting that blog? It was designed uh, specifically as uh, a, a place to, to talk about uh, marketing that is either directly in the cycling industry or somehow uses cycling to convey their message. It has uh, devolved somewhat into an aggregator of uh, our particular take on the news of the day. So we do cover uh, the doping scandals and things like that from time to time, but we try to bring it back as much as we can anyway to how it relates to marketing. Um, but 
admittedly, since I am the, the huge bike nerd that I am, uh, topics do tend to stray away from marketing and just go straight at the heart of cycling. Interesting. Well, I, I, I like I... it when you, you, you praise adverts or you diss them. You say, this advert's rubbish, this advert's fantastic. I like it and when you, when you that's, do that kind of stuff. Thank you, Carlton. That, that, I, I appreciate that. That was uh, how it was designed to be. Um, the, the problem is, is that for me is that most of the ads that, that I see that I love or hate don't exist in an online form, so it's hard for me to, to link the ad. I have to scan them from the magazines into the uh, into an image that I can put onto the site. So it, it ends up being a little more cumbersome than I had hoped it would be from that standpoint. But I do intend to to uh, personally add that back into the mix of stuff that, that I contribute to the site. I have a feeling that, that I'm probably glad that, that your blog wasn't around when I was doing advertising in the bike business because I have... <laughs> Hey, I had some ads that I'm really proud of, but I have some ads that, you know, not so much. Yeah, same here. Same here. And I, I pick on my own ads, too. You'll you'll see all the Mozzie ads in there because there, some of them I feel really good about and other ones I admit to, oh, crap, the deadline is today. So and We've all had those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, good. Well, um, Donna, welcome to the show. We're, we're glad to have you here. I'm, I'm just going to jump right in, and let's talk to the listeners a little bit about what it is we're doing today. We're not covering this week's news, um, because this is the last show of the year for the spokesman or the spokespeople, whatever you decide to call us today. Uh, so instead, we thought that what we would do is a year in review. Each of us have chosen a topic or a story from this year that we felt was the you know, an important story for the year. And because it was first come, first serve, we all couldn't take the same story. So Carlton was the first person to jump in and choose a story. So Carlton, take it away. Tell us what your story is, and then we can all sort of tell you what, what our thoughts are on it. Well, I, I jumped in on this story because, A, it's a big one, and B, I've got a personal interest in it because I've done lots of stories on it, and that's Floyd Landis. And uh, Sorry, I'd like Floyd to say who? what... Uh, yeah, yeah uh, kind of. See what happened Armstrong, to him? The kind of guy who came after Armstrong, an American guy, won the oh, Tour de France. Right, that, right, right. That guy. I'm sure you've read about him. Oh, they um, still had the race after Lance retired. I think so. Yeah, huh. yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, he's okay. on the front cover of Pro Cycling. This, this, uh, this issue, which is a UK magazine. I, I believe you get in the in the US as well. So yes. Lance Armstrong is still up there as the only still a cover boy. put on magazine covers. Yeah. Um, but yes, Floyd, who, who I'm, I, I know you, you all know, and I know that you all, all read about, uh, what a year he's had. And of course, it's only half a year. It seems as though we've been talking about uh, Floyd and testosterone for a long time, but it's only since July. In fact, it's only since the end of July, probably August, because that's when uh, uh, allegedly he got, uh, he got busted for ingesting stuff, or strapping stuff on, or spreading it on, however... Uh, the the drugs police reckon uh, he's meant to have done it, but uh, since um, August, the story has been everywhere. It, there's been twists, there's been turns, and I noticed that on uh, the 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 Zeitgeist AOL um, searches of the year, uh, he's beaten Lance Armstrong this year. Has uh, Floyd? Floyd is in there at number eight as uh, the top search terms uh, of the year. And there's some American athletes I'm figuring here who I've never heard of. Alan Iverson, Barbaro, Michael Jordan's in at three, I know. David Beckham, I know, is at number four. But Lance Armstrong's is actually number nine. And normally he comes way up the top there. So Floyd has beaten Lance Armstrong this year, at least in, um, in search terms. So the, the story of, of Floyd is uh, not finished. Uh, many people think he's he's uh, down and, and out and will never see his like again, but he could be back um, in next Tour de France if he can win his case. And floydlanders.com is one of the places where you can hear some of the information or read some of the information from Floyd's side. And then there's uh, Trustbutt. Uh, Trustbutt Verify uh, is the... the, the pretty much daily coverage of the ins and outs of the, the Floyd Lander story, which goes into some incredible detail on the flaws in the drug testing regime and, as I'm sure Donna could, could pinpoint, flaws in the drug testing regime in other high-profile cases, such as Tyler Hamilton. So 
the story of Floyd is going to run and run uh, through to at least March, um, possibly even longer. And whatever you think about him, um, let's hope that he's back racing because it's good for cycling if he does come back. So I guess, Donna, this is a great time for you, for you to jump in. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, from, from a marketing perspective, just from your personal perspective, what's your take on the Floyd story this year? Well, I think Floyd has, it's a multifaceted story, and not coming at it from the cycling angle, I think. Um, Carlton made a, an interesting comment about, you know, if he could win his case and come back, um, absolutely, that that needs to happen before he can come back and race. But he also, what has sort of got brushed under the rug is he had hip replacement surgery or um, or some sort of hip surgery. I don't know if it was a complete replacement, but that is something that nobody has come back from and then gone on to win Grand Tours or anything like that. So I think um, we all know he's been back on the bike, but how what what type of level can he get back to? will be very interesting um, if he is allowed to race. And I really enjoyed Carlton, The I believe, I haven't checked this morning, so I don't know, but the last article that I saw that you did um, earlier this week with a quote from Floyd that said, no matter how this shakes out, it's going to be a very tough time for cycling, whether he is proven um, throughout this case to be quote-unquote guilty, um, then you strip your t the winner of your Tour de France, you strip that title away from him that's never been done before. Um, and if he's not proven guilty, then what does that say about all of the drug testing procedures? And that really puts a, a crack in, in their foundation, and that's bad for cycling. So I think this is a story that isn't just going to be a 2006 story. I think it's going to be a story for 2007 and maybe even beyond. Um, and as far as a marketing perspective on that, um, I think that the sport just is going to, it has taken a hit in general. We've seen sponsors walk away. We don't know how many other sponsors may have been, or potential sponsors had been interested in coming into cycling that won't now. Um, it's a very tumultuous time for the sport that we all love, and um, it is, to say the least, going to be interesting going forward to see what happens. I'm curious, though, because we have a couple of high-profile high profile. doping cases in cycling, but then we look at sports like, and I keep bringing this up because it bugs me, we look at professional baseball. Professional baseball has had its high-profile doping cases, yet people... They're still getting the butts in the seats at the stadiums. They're still getting uh, the fans as involved as ever. Yet when you look at cycling, there are people who are who are ready to throw in the towel and say, I'm, I'm no longer interested in being a cycling fan. All cyclists are dopers. Why is it that our sport gets um, such a, a, a negative spin as a result of these high-profile doping cases, whereas a sport like baseball just continues to plot on? Any any ideas on that, Tim? What do you think? That's I, I agree with you, David. That's one of the issues that drives me just absolutely insane. Um, we had a, a here in San Diego. One of the San Diego Charger football players was uh, busted on a, a drug charge uh, and sat out a couple of games, and now he's playing again. He's his career isn't over. He's not looking at a two-year ban. And with professional sports in the U.S., I don't know uh, if. Carlton would would possibly know uh, soccer players there. I don't know what what they go through, um, but the sports federations here and pro sports. I mean, it's it's really just okay. You got you got caught. Don't do it again. Okay, you got caught again. Okay, so so Tim seems to have dropped out a little bit. So let, let me sort of go on from where he was going. You, you take Can a you guy fill in there on 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 what he was saying. Then? Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead, Carl. Maybe what he was going to go on to was the fact that a lot of uh, American pro sports aren't actually signatories to the WADA um, declarations. So there's a whole list of of uh, the high-profile sports that don't do a great deal about drugs aren't actually members of of, of WADA. Whereas soccer uh, was a very latecomer into uh, signing up to it. FIFA signed up, I think, only last uh, year or perhaps even just earlier this year. And, of course, soccer is another sport that gets away with it. Even though they're a signatory to, to WADA, they get away with all this drug stuff scot-free. For instance, just in the last few days, uh, it's emerged, as we all 
knew from a few months ago that uh, Operation Puerto and uh, Dr. Fuentes, he was involved in some high-profile, um, with some high-profile football teams. Now, the UK tabloids, did they suddenly go ape over football, being involved in drugs? No, didn't get a single mention. When cycling, a minority sport, according to the tabloids, and the mass media across here, when that gets uh, in, involved in, in doping scandals, all of a sudden it's all over the newspapers. So how come soccer doesn't get attacked when there's, there's uh, links potentially to drugs, yet cycling does? It's just a strange no-man's land of you mustn't talk about this sport, but you must talk about this sport. And it's always cycling that gets hit. Hey, everybody, it's David. Sorry to jump into the middle of the show here on you and surprise you like this, but it was at this point where Tim Jackson unfortunately dropped off the connection. So we took a little while to get him back on, and once he was back on, we continued with the show. So here we go. One of the points is that professional baseball, professional football, American football, they're not part of the water regime. Uh, professional soccer is, yet even though that's the case, even when a professional soccer player uh, is is caught for doping. It doesn't get the worldwide press that that cycling does, and and it's a real question as to why that is. Donna, did you have a comment on that? I, I heard that you you popped in there for a second. Well, I almost wonder if it's there's too much to lose um, with if the media makes too big of a deal in the U.S. with baseball or our football. Yes. Football or there in in Europe where it's football there, soccer, um, that there's there's so much money being made there. There's so much um, national pride, if you will, or national stake in these sports, so that sort of the stick and ball sports, as I call them, um, that if there was truly to be this huge scandal in the media and the media feeding it, that what would that do to our cultures and what would that do for sponsors and teams and things like that and and this is just my little tiny opinion but um, cycling as you said is not as big of a sport therefore it, it is a scandal of sorts and scandals sell as we all know um, and maybe the papers are more comfortable putting in the scandal about um, a smaller sport I don't know, just my little take. They're not going to get sued by cycling teams, but they will right. get sued by football teams. I think there was a UK journalist, a tabloid journalist, actually said that when he was asked, why haven't you run stories about uh, uh, Real Madrid, all these other teams that have been um, uh, linked to Dr. Fuentes, that journalist said, well, we'll get sued by the football teams. Uh, and cycling teams, cycling organizations, cycle journalists, and as you see from the bulletin boards, cyclists themselves, they're, they're the worst enemy here. Instead of um, waiting for the facts, waiting for the evidence, we, I'm going to say we here, they, I'm going to lump all these other people in a, in a they camp, they jump in and they accuse their own. And cyclists are some of the, the most virulent critics of doping in cycling, which would be fine if it was prevalent as as they fear it is. And when you actually talk to, to pro cyclists, yes, there is clearly a doping problem, as there is in many other sports, but it is not every single uh, cyclist doping, apart from the odd clean one. It's the other way around. It's, there, it's, a, it's a clean sport with some bad apples. And if those bad apples could be got rid of by WADA, fantastic. But the, the whole regime at the moment is weighted against all athletes. And you can't really have... There's no level playing field. Athletes get accused. People jump on the accusations. They accuse them of being guilty. They lose their careers. And then maybe a year, six months down the, the line, the organizations come out and say, oh, actually, he didn't. He, he wasn't um, positive at all. Or they win their arbitration cases, maybe. And that athlete can never get back to, to where they were. And of all the sports that do that to their athletes, cycling is by far the worst. Perhaps because historically we had a, a, an earlier and bigger uh, doping problem. But I think cycling is a lot cleaner than it, than it has been. And that's not me putting my, my head in the sand. It's just... Why would Floyd take testosterone at the Tour de France? It's just, it's just so nonsensical. 
that he would have done that. He would, I think, his own quote is, he'd have to be the the biggest idiot in the world to have done that. Um, so I, for one, I, I, I will come out and, and and say publicly, I think I believe Floyd. But you realize, though, that the perception is, and, and I've certainly gotten this from my listeners who are very much enthusiastic cycling fans, you realize that the perception is that that the majority of them are doing it, and that as a result uh, of, if that's true, hypothetically, that the majority of them are doing it, then guys like Floyd who don't want to feel that they must in order to continue to have any sort of a competitive edge. Now, I'm not saying I buy into that, but I've talked to talk, excuse, that, that was really smart. I've spoken with uh, people who are professional cycling coaches, all the way down to people who just enjoy cycling as a sport to the enthusiastic actual participant. They really believe that this is prevalent, and maybe that is because of all of these scandals and all of these reports and, and things that have come out. So I, th- I think that that needs to be taken into consideration, and I think that the cycling community as a whole needs to find a way to uh, dissuade people from that belief. You, you look at the statistics, there's not actually that many people in the sport as a whole, in cycling in general, get busted for drugs. Now, the cynics say, oh, that's because the masking agents are so good now. They're so far ahead of the science. <clears throat> Possibly. But it could also mean that doping isn't the issue that it used to be in the 60s. And it, 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 that people are not like East Europeans bulking up on steroids anymore. Some clearly are. They will be uh, weeded out because the, the, the drug testing regime is so strict and the, the, the ratios that you get caught on are, are just so bonkers. But it does also mean, because of the false positives, that you are going to, to in, your, in the net, you're going to get lots and lots of innocent athletes. And that's where I start drawing the line, because if the drug testing regime, which is not perfect, the science is not settled, if they get just one innocent athlete, whether that's an Iranian athlete, a Kazakhstan athlete, or, for instance, an American athlete, well, that's just plain unfair. And I don't know whether you can get Donna to talk about this, but you say Tyler Hamilton, and everybody gets these amazing preconceptions of uh, a chimera and a twin and blood. Read the information out there uh, on Tyler Hamilton and from his side of the story and from the arbitrators who were involved in that case, why they think that's a a travesty of justice. All of this is colored by, by Floyd, and you start reading all this information and your eyes are opened and you just can no longer really trust what uh, all of these 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 organizations in the drug testing world all of whom are paid millions and millions of uh, pounds of and dollars of taxpayers money what they're saying it's a closed shop and they want to keep their regime and if all drugs went away tomorrow they would not disband themselves they have got themselves a nice little cozy spot well, how many of you saw the series that was in the L.A. Times earlier this week? There was a two-part series. It was Sunday and Monday about doping. And one of the points that I was going to make is I think that one of the reasons why the Times found it a good time to do a story like that was precisely because of the Landis affair and the Puerto affair and all of the doping that's gone on in professional cycling. But what the series pointed out, if you didn't see it, was exactly what Carlton's been saying, that this is a completely closed system whereby those who have to enforce the rules, make the rules, design the tests, um, almost have indentured labs where even if the lab thinks that there's something, if a particular sanctioned lab thinks that there's something wrong with a test or something, or they want to testify in favor of an athlete, they're not allowed to. So this is about as closed of a system as you can get. Um, how many of you saw that? And, and if you didn't see it, um, any comments on the fact that it is such a closed system and whether we need reform? And if so, how we can make that happen? Donna, any comments? Um, I did see one of the articles. I didn't see both. Um, and if people haven't seen them, I don't know if the LA Times goes to... Um, you need to have a subscription for it after a day or two or whatever, but you can find one of the articles on Tyler Hamilton's site, which is just tylerhamilton.com. And by the way, that was that was sort of just a sub-article. Uh, the one about uh, Tyler 
was a sidebar that day and uh, to the main article. And I'll check right now while you're talking to see whether or not uh, LA Times is still available. But go ahead. But um, I, I think, as, as Carlton said, that it, it's an issue of trust right now. And I'm not sure how much trust people have in the system. So I think that there's a general perception out there of all cyclists are doping, but then we can't trust the, the testers either. And, you know, I go back to the that all the way around, I think, at this point. And um, personally, I would like to see some of the officials within the testing agency maybe step down, um, have some new blood in there. I think that may be where they might get some of their trust back. New, new blood is perhaps not the best phrase to use. <laughs> yeah, I thought of that too. <laughs> okay. Some of those frozen bags, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Hey, some frozen bags would do a better job than take pound. Yes. Maybe we can get uh, Fuentes to uh, send, send some over. <laughs> Carlton, you're not going to win any friends the next time you're interviewing Dick Pound. I just want you to know that. <laughs> he doesn't like me anyway, so it's okay. No, but that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that, 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 that came through in your, your last interview that he doesn't like you very much. I'm not a pal. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that came through loud and clear. I'm not a pal. You're in the Nazi frogman camp. Absolutely. He keeps on using that phrase. I thought, hey, we'll use this phrase against him. And we'll say, can you imagine? He said this. Amazing. And he's still using it. It's yeah, it like, was, wow, it's his, it's his favorite phrase. It was in the LA Times article, as a matter of fact. And, yeah, and Donna, yeah, to answer your question, um, both of those articles are still available online, and I will put uh, links to both of those in today's show notes. Great. Well, you know, people have accused us of doing doping to death on this show and on my show. So um, it is, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this is the number one topic of the year in cycling. This is what everybody's talking about. And it's the reason why we've done it to death on this show and why I keep doing it on my show. Because new new items keep coming out, new angles on the story. And, and I just think we can't avoid it. And as Carlton said... You know, whether you like it or not, we're going to be talking about this next year and the year after and uh, until it's, it's, it's resolved. So it, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate, but I think we have to live with it. Yeah, we're, we're going to be for a long time. Well, Tim, do me a favor. I know that you've got a story that you wanted to talk about. Why don't you let us know what, what you thought one of your major stories of the year was? My major story of the year, I'm hitting from the angle of being an industry goober, uh, is the story of Eurobike trying to come to Portland, then not coming to Portland, and now going to Sea Otter, and still not having any details to offer on it. Um, yeah, uh, Euro, Eurobike making an attempt to steal some of the uh, thunder away from Interbike, the country's largest uh, bike industry trade show, well, really the only uh, bike industry trade show in the U.S., major one anyway, um, and one of the biggest in the world. Uh, it was just incredibly odd that uh, Eurobike made their announcement um, at the end of October, and then by the end of November had canceled that plan, and it was just so weird. It was exciting and stimulating, but the timing seemed very odd to introduce another trade show in the month of September when you've already got the Canadian trade show, Eurobike, Interbike. It just seemed wrong. The place is great. Portland is wonderful, perfect for the industry, but the timing just seemed wrong. and It was just odd. And then to not release any details, not uh, answer requests for information, and then just out of the blue, make an announcement saying we're not going to do it after all, but come see us at Sea Otter, where we're going to be teaming up with Sea Otter for the largest consumer show or largest uh, outdoor expo. And there's still very few details available. And they've got a full page ad in the current issue of uh, Bicycle Retailer, the industry trade rag, uh, talking about their great. Uh, show ex expo that they're going to have but there's still really no details you can buy exhibitor space but that's about all 
we know at this point. Well, let me ask this. I remember several years ago, and, and, and I'm sure you folks do as well, when there was a lot of, there were a lot of people in the industry who were upset with Interbike. They didn't feel that Interbike was serving their needs. Uh, and so an industry, a new industry association was formed, and a competing show, the bio show, Right. Occurred in Las Vegas. But it was clear at that point what the issues were because it was all out in the open. You want to talk about uh, the retailer. It was all over retailer for months about how people were upset and what they were planning on doing. And if Interbike would change, maybe they. And it just it ended up that they had the competing show. Now, obviously, the bio show is gone and right. Interbike remains. But again, in that instance, the issues were clear. Today, I'm not quite sure that, that, that most people understand what the issues are. Is there a groundswell in the industry? I, I mean, obviously, there's, there has been right. talk about the location of Interbike, and there are some people who just don't like Vegas. But other than that, what's the reason? Why would somebody want a show to compete with Interbike at exactly the same time of year? I, that that part I really can't figure out why they'd want competing shows at the same time because the logistics because you're gonna have to at least in the beginning do both because you'd be an idiot not to because if you throw all your eggs in one basket and that basket turns out to be the wrong one you're essentially screwed so you'd have to take the gamble and, and try to cover both and if they're that close together it's just impossible but I think the the major issues that people are are getting hung up on still in regards to Vegas is that uh, doing a trade show in Vegas, the the side that most people complain about, outside of it just being the Las Vegas issue itself, is dealing with the Sands Convention is not the most pleasant experience sometimes, and you have to work with the the union tradespeople to get your stuff in and out. There have been security issues. Uh, Haro is my parent company, and two years in a row we've had stuff stolen out of our booths uh, at night when security is there. Uh, the first year, uh, two years ago, we had several high-end bikes ripped out. This year, one of our uh, less expensive bikes was ripped out, and this this was in a, a booth that was being guarded, <laughs> allegedly. Um, so there are, I think it's logistical issues or operational issues that are really the, the the ones that are at the core of what people are complaining about. You know, in a way, though, I, as somebody who does trade shows all over the country in, in my day job, um, two, two things. Number one, I think that, if, if you don't mind my saying so, I think people are being naive about the, the cost at the Sands Convention Center, uh, the, the fact that you've got to deal with certain um, union organizations and what that costs. I think that they're being naive because I've worked at trade shows uh, all over the country, and those issues are everywhere. It doesn't, yeah, matter, so I agree. it doesn't matter where you go. I mean, I remember when Interbike was at Anaheim. Uh, we had issues in Anaheim, and 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 I think you're going to have that no matter where you go. The the other thing is, it's and, and I don't remember if I mentioned this on the show before or not, but I remember a few years ago when when we had a booth at Interbike, and as we were loading out after the show was over, uh, we had something stolen, and it turned out that it was the security guard who was standing yeah. next to our booth that had it in his backpack. Yep. So I think, again, you're going to have union issues, you're going to have security issues no matter where you go. Um, Donna, from your perspective, because I think you've got your finger on the pulse of the industry, what are you hearing? Why would people want a competing show? Um, I think that there, as Tim has said, I think there's a lot of grumbling about Vegas in general. Um, it It doesn't convey the attitude of the industry it's not really you know an outdoorsy type of city um, and I, I think that's where people get but um, in the end I don't know of many other cities that can handle the influx of people coming in the restaurant space that you would need the hotel space that you would need um, there's a lot more that goes on to a trade show, as you very well know, than just the city itself. There's such an infrastructure that needs to go around that. Um, we do a trade show in February in Indianapolis, and you have to fight for restaurant time at night and hotels. I can't get a hotel right now. I needed to get a couple more hotels for um, some of our distributors, and I can't get them. There are no more in the city. We're going to have to go outside of the city for those hotel rooms, and this is three months out from the show. 
So doesn't, doesn't sorry, doesn't the Venetian have more hotel space <laughs> in the whole of downtown Port? Just, just one hotel. It, it may, and um, and I believe that um, that the Venetian is actually adding on, and it will be like seven thousand rooms or something next year. Wow. So, um, and, uh, so yeah, and I, I mean, you're going to have security issues anywhere. I mean, Tim, we, we could help you with that security issue if you would share some of those <laughs> items in but, um, but we also, as, as far as security, um, being the security company, we hire um, additional security at night. We actually hire somebody to stand in our booth all night long. Um, to lock your locks. Yeah, exactly. We do that at Interbike, and we do it at um, our trade show in Indianapolis in February. And there, it's a, a little more crucial because we probably have this year we'll have about two hundred thousand dollars worth of motorcycles alone in our booth. So, it, you know, what booth space is that? <laughs> um, you, you're not allowed, Tim. <laughs> Um, and it will be Parowitz painted motorcycles, so you're definitely not allowed. Oh. But um, but but you just do what you have to do, and I think you know we would do the same thing whatever city we were in. We would hire a security person. So I think you just you know it's it's part of the trade show, unfortunately, and you just do what you need to do to protect your stuff. Carlton, as as a as, as a pseudo outsider, only in the fact that that you're not from you know you're not you're an American. Aww. What? What? No, 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 no. This is a good thing. In this case, what's your perspective on, uh, or what's the European perspective on this whole thing that's going on here in the states? Um, from a, from an outside perspective, um, if if indeed the reason why people wanted to bring in a competing trade show is because there's some upsetness about the location or even the convention center, um, I, I mean, at least for me, it would seem that there's got to be a better way to solve it than bringing in a competitor at the exact same time of year. Mm -hmm. But from your perspective, how does this all look? Well, we love Vegas because it's weird. It's American, but like 10 times bigger than American normally. So yeah. it's great to fly in and go to this weird, weird city. If you live in America, I guess you don't like Vegas quite so much. Um, I think that the, the whole Eurobike uh, invading America thing is, is potentially very, very good for, for Interbike. One, it kind of wakes people up to the affection they probably have for Interbike. And I think a lot of people went, oh, no, they can't do that. We protect Interbike. And there's a lot of people who have, have got onto Interbike's um, side from that point of view. And secondly, is the fact that uh, Eurobike um, is this, this, this it's much bigger than, than Interbike, for instance. And it's, uh, it's this show that actually has its own hotel problems, much, much bigger than, than anything you get in, in Portland. You just can't get a, a hotel room in uh, Friedrichshafen for, for love nor money. And uh, it's rich that they're, they're, they're going to try, or they were going to try and uh, do a, a show in, in a city which would also have hotel problems. So Vegas does have this uh, very good um, infrastructure that is just right for the show. And talk about, well, it's not a very good uh, venue because it's not very bikey. Boulder City. I love going to Boulder City. It's it's the reason I go to, to, to this show. You do two days in, in advance of the show of riding Beautiful the bikes. Demo in a desert location overlooking um, the Hoover Dam and it's, just, it's, oh, it's, it's fantastic and, and I'm sure Portland is a wonderful wonderful place to go biking it is much friendlier um, to cycle around and it is crazy to, to, to cycle around Vegas but you get out to Boulder City and it's just it's just mecca for, for mountain bikes and they, the asphalt is good for road bikes good for recumbents so from that point of view nothing wrong so what it, Eurobike has, has uh, perhaps done here is, is is good for Interbike in that Interbike's got its um, its questionnaire, its survey out to exhibitors and to attendees at the moment, and I think people will now think more clearly about what they like about Interbike and what they don't like about Interbike's location, and they'll be much more willing to actually put stuff on this survey than perhaps they would have done 
three months ago. So they're going to get a very good feedback, I think, of what the industry really wants because Eurobike has come in and has tried to take it away from them. I think people always like a, a good fight and uh, Eurobike's uh, done them a, a, probably a very good service. Well, let's let's move on to another subject, uh, if if we can, at the moment. And and Donna, you had a topic that you wanted to bring up, and I think it's it's apropos to exactly what it is we're doing here. So why don't you let everybody know what that is? Well, I took a little different tact and decided to talk a little bit about how the industry is embracing new media, um, and even within the industry, I mean cyclists in general. I know and. Um, I am painfully aware that cyclists are online using tools and have been for a very long time. Um, but it started off mainly with forums um, and has moved into blogs and things. And now we have YouTube and um, that I know that Mr. New York Times Jackson, as I like to call him, was yeah. at the forefront of, um, of the sort of blog movement within the cycling industry and Cliff Bar had their blah blah blog um, but that in the last year you really see a lot more blogs, podcasts popping up that have to do with the industry or cycling in general um, Carlton is now part of a couple of different podcasts and, and you David and you know single track over in the UK, they started with a podcast. They've now moved into a blog. Um, Bicycling Magazine actually moved their um, their columnists into a blog format. Um, Joe Lindsay does a great one, um, his Boulder Report, where he is now interacting with people um, that, that talk about his posts. And um, there have been some really good conversations that start there. Um, dealers are starting to use blogs. I think that um, it's a very cost-effective way for them to connect with their customer um, and do it on a daily basis for no money. I know that um, Tim has a really good dealer down in Texas, Panther City, that they have a blog now um, and are communicating that way about events that they do and different tips that I know there are some in Australia that I've just found some dealers. There are dealers that of ours that are all over the country, Minneapolis and things, that, that are having blogs now. Um, and companies are starting to use um, different types of, of new media. Um, the sock guy, I think he may have been pushed into having a blog by a certain Mazzy guy. I'm not sure. But he is now getting, he's now getting all kinds of... of People talking about him because of Tim's little challenge there of his sock of the day, um, and and driving people to Sock Guy's blog. Um, Specialized is doing it differently. They have put their holiday card online where they have the Nutcracker Suite as performed on all bike parts. So that is something different. I I don't believe they're sending holiday cards. They're doing it online. Um, and then of course there's our friend Tim Grawl, who his 29inches.com that has um, Benson has taken that brand and put it on a bike frame and and that is completely unheard of that you would take a a dot com and put it on a bike frame because people know that and there's a community around that um, Interbike events are starting to use blogs Interbike started their Interbike Times it, it hasn't been updated as much as I would like it to be but um, but they have started and tried that um, and you know and then of course there's YouTube where anything that you do can be put on YouTube and video and Trek's you know Trek Mania commercials with Bob Roll from this summer they're up on YouTube and they're getting the added exposure and just this morning I was watching um, one of the morning shows and they had um, the editor of Time Magazine on and every year Time Magazine does their person of the year um, that really had the most impact on the world they feel and they were talking about their finalists Um, they will actually announce who or what it is it has turned into um, it could be a what um, over the years Um, and they will announce that on Sunday but one of their finalists is um, user-generated content, 
and I think that that is that's huge and huge for the bike industry to see that so many people are embracing the new medias, be it a podcast like this one, or um, blogs, or videocasts, vlogs, um, or just any of that type of thing. And I think that we will see more of that in 07 from the cycling industry. Do you think that the cycling industry is unique among uh, consumer industries in, in using new media? Do you think that we're early adopters? Do you think we come late to the game? Um, I think we're somewhere in the middle because um, technology companies have been here for a very long time. Um, you know, you've got the Microsoft, you, you had Robert Scoble that was really at the forefront for Microsoft. So I think we're somewhere in the middle. I think there are other industries that haven't been here yet and don't even know about blocks. So I think we're somewhere in the middle, but I think, um, I think we are forging right ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think cycling cycling's always been at the forefront of, of this kind of technology. I know I was, I'm not blowing my own trip here, but I'm just saying about uh, communities of cyclists. I was involved with um, a Usenet-type uh, bunch of uh, like-minded uh, cyclists way before uh, the, the internet, the World Wide Web. Um, and using email and, and FTP downloads and stuff years before it, it went mainstream and there was just a whole slew of cyclists who were who were there uh, maybe perhaps because we are attuned to tech we do like um, the latest uh, tech products as David's going to talk about and because we're attuned to this kind of stuff I think we are early adopters uh, by our very nature and I know in in when I do a, uh, when I try and rig votes, for instance, on if if uh, the BBC Co UK has a vote on what's the best uh, product of the last 100 years, well, I will do a story on that, and I I guarantee we can, as we as cyclists, we will swamp these voting things, and we will vote for the bicycle. And on numerous occasions, um, major sites in the UK have had to actually um, change the way they do voting things because so many cyclists will go and vote for the bike or for cycling that it becomes nonsensical so the best invention of the last hundred years is probably not the bicycle but sure it is. we all go and vote for the bicycle and uh, the bicycle wins and it annoys people the experts who say well no it's not the bicycle but oh yeah well yeah they did get all the votes but no, it's not the bicycle and we go out and vote for these things that the the most recent example of, of the BBC for instance stop putting a stop to this is normally on their, their sports personality of the year. They allow you to uh, vote online for that. This year, they're not, they haven't allowed you to vote online. So there was a cyclist there, Nicole Cook, uh, but you had to, to ring in to register your vote because they know the cycling community, if they get a chance to vote online, we will, we will do it in huge numbers. But to, to phone in is that's that little one, one step too far, and you can't rig that so much. Well, that's interesting. That's almost like um, going backwards because technology is, is so prevalent and so many people mm -hmm. have computers and you would think that they would encourage you to use your computer or your phone because some people are not as wired. We're all on this call very, very wired and the people that we deal with are very wired, but not everybody is. Um, and you would think they would give you the option but not take away the internet option, whereas there are ways to say you can only vote once a day. There are programs for that. So that's interesting that they're taking away. And in my eyes, they're stepping backwards a little bit. They're taking a step back. Oh, but Donna, it is so easy to rig. I mean, when, when I've done these, these, these stories and I've got people to go and uh, vote on all, the, all these sites, yes, there's a whole bunch of cyclists who've gone up and voted because they're online so much. But there's also quite a few, and I, I know a few of them, who I won't call them script kiddies because they're, they're much older than that, but they have shown me how they have rigged these votes where they will, will get a, 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 an automated um, bit of software to do all the voting for them. And I've, I've seen it in action because the, some of the sites haven't been terribly well protected. You get sometimes get somebody who say votes for the car and they've got a script kiddie voting 10,000 times a minute for the car, but the cyclists are better script kiddies, so they can actually get more votes. So this vote, which was 10 people had voted on it in the last three weeks, gets mentioned by bikebiz.com. 
the script kiddies come on start voting and then you start watching the stats go up and it's like 10,000 votes in an hour and you think okay that's not real that's just the script kiddies at work we've got better script kiddies I love that term <laughs> I do too I'd never heard it before oh sorry Great. It's, it's a coder sitting in his bedroom and uh, uh, normally young as the, the kiddie and is just writing a script to, to, to do something on the internet so they're called script kiddies yeah, we, we just call them hackers yeah. yeah. Hey, question, and and I don't know if you can answer this question, guys, but but is this this trend of using new media is this something that's unique to say the UK and the US, or is this something that's that's worldwide? Is are there portions of the world that that really lags behind? I asked the question because I remember in the early '90s I was doing some marketing for a Taiwanese company, and I remember that that we did their we were doing stuff that they didn't even realize we were doing. We we had put up a site on the web. We gave them email, this whole thing. And I remember that, that the, the the managing director came to Interbike and he, he pulled out the catalog and he, and he turned it over and he, and he pointed to the back where we had the address, but we also had the email address and the website. And he says, what's this? And I said, oh, that that's your email address. And he said, electric what? <laughs> and and so I'm wondering, are there are there places in the world where, where this really isn't the case in cycling? Oh, yeah, you ask a French guy, French. you ask a German guy about a podcast, for instance, and they will often look at you blankly. I think this is very much America and uh, the UK uh, are at the forefront of this. They'll all catch up, but I think we're way ahead. How on, about the uh, Italians, Tim? Podcasts. Um, the Italians, I think, are probably in the same category as the uh, French and Germans, as, as uh, uh, Carlson was just pointing out. There, There are... Obviously, exceptions. I have uh, a handful of readers and commenters uh, in Italy, France, Germany. Um, I know Australia is growing pretty quickly with their community, as well as Canada. So it it definitely appears to be spreading. Um, and interesting, uh, David, to your comment about the the Taiwanese not knowing what was going on. Uh, I have a block of viewers to the Mozzie guy and the uh, the marketing site uh, from Taiwan that visit daily, sometimes several times a day, just to see if it's been updated. So Taiwan is, is coming on a lot quicker now too, especially in regards to the bike industry because they have so much interest in it because they do a lot of business with us. Yeah. So they're they're listening in on our conversations a lot more now. Yeah, no, that conversation I had was, was uh, maybe 12, 13 years ago. So yeah. It would it would only make sense, you know, if this is where the industry is going, that's where you have to be. So right. that, that makes sense. Well, let me just move on, and, and I think that this this topic sort of dovetails with the one we just discussed, and Carlton teased it a, a couple of minutes ago. You know, Donna was talking about the use of new media, and obviously technology is is a big part of that, or or is at the the center of that. From my perspective, and, and I know that, that Carlton wasn't surprised when I told him I was going to be talking about this, but from my perspective, I'm seeing in the last year plus an increase in the amount of technology that cyclists are using. Just everyday people who are recreational cyclists or enthusiasts or even racers, everything from putting GPSs on their handlebars to um, how they're using their iPods um, or just the fact that they that they use iPods, uh, whether it's to, to listen to music while they're riding or listen to podcasts or to listen to workouts. Uh, Chris Carmichael's been doing some stuff with, with iPod, with, with podcasts as, as um, workout um, motivational tools. Um, power meters, uh, various DVDs. Of course, we talked about uh, blogs and, and online training tools. I just think that technology in the world of cycling, forget frames and, and components, but add-on technology is really growing by leaps and bounds among cyclists. And that I think that that is also uh, a story for this year. The number of people I know I hear from my listeners as well as just people I see out riding who are who, who understand what it means to have metrics they're they're being able to track on their computer their cadence their heart rate uh, their distance uh, put their their GPS track on their computer all of this technology is becoming more and more accessible to cyclists and is being used more and more and I'm wondering what what your take is on it. Donna, what do you think um, about the use of technology by cyclists? I think that 
Traditionally, cyclists probably have been very technology-minded in general, true hardcore cyclists. Um, you know, the, the latest material to use on their bike, the lightest, the most durable. Um, it, it, for a hardcore cyclist, it's very, very technical, and, and what are the components I can get, and how are my components going to be better than Tim's components, or going to be better than Carlton's components, and um, or or maybe Carlton's got something new, and we need to, to be, you know, we need to have that. Um, so I think that, in general, cyclists have been very technology-minded, so it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, you see people doing their workouts with their iPods or that they have a GPS um, when they go out in, in a single track somewhere. Um, the, the other part of that, maybe the more casual rider, I think that because technology is so prevalent today in our society, you mentioned your iPods and your GPSs, which so many people have. I, I have to say I have neither, but um, I'm not a technology-minded person. You're Cretan. I know. <laughs> um, but my friends that ride that I would put more in the casual, you know, riding who are technology-minded, they have all of those things um, because it is so easy to walk into an Apple store and get your iPod. It is so easy to go pretty much anywhere and get a GPS system now um, and it's it's some of keeping up with the Joneses if, if I have it then you know my neighbor has it then I have to have it type of thing so it doesn't surprise me at all and I think um, you'll find more and more people sort of strapping things onto their bicycles and um, you know I'm gonna go to my friend's house on my bicycle and I'm gonna bring my GPS maybe there's a shorter way that I don't know, <laughs> you know? Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all now, of course, having having said all of that about the everyday cyclist and, and how accessible all of this is, we have our technology. We have our luddite on the on the show, and that's Tim because Tim refuses to put anything on his handlebars. Is that right, Tim? <laughs> oh, oh, I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> I I actually was waiting for it. Um, I actually was traveling in Los Angeles yesterday with one of my sales reps. Uh, who uh, also reps for a company that does computers. So I actually got a new computer, David. You'll be happy to know. And it's even wireless. It's not hardwired. I don't have to tape a bunch of wires down. Uh, so but are you I'll, putting I'll it on your bike? Mike. some data. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm even getting multiple mounts so I can move the computer head from bike to bike since I ride too many bikes. Um, it, I was going to interject, uh, Donna. When, actually, when you were talking about uh, the power meters, I had two of my uh, pro riders visiting uh, last week, and they were riding on bikes that I had here rather than traveling with their race bikes. And both of them were nearly out of their minds because they didn't have their SRMs. They didn't have their power meters to look at the whole time they were here. So they were here training for three days and enjoying the weather. And... Uh, they were freaking out because they couldn't capture their training data. You know that's an interesting angle, and and maybe Carlton, you want to you want to uh, comment on this with technology becoming so popular. Um, is it almost ruining the sport at the same time, taking away the the purity, if you will, of the sport? Here's guys who, who they simply don't know what to do. They're freaking out because they don't have their power meters. You know, just as as we say at the end of the show, why don't they just get out there and ride? Carlton, any comment on that? Well, I, I can talk about all these tech products because I, I, I write about them on my website and in the mag and I've got to research them all. I don't use them. I'm sorry, David. I really don't use them. I, it's not a purity thing. It's just, no, no, it is. It's a purity thing. Uh, I just, yeah, I like getting out there and riding. I have never had a computer on my bike, not even a one that doesn't do power. Just the one that tells you how fast you're going. I'm not really that bothered. I go out for my ride. I don't have a heart rate monitor. I don't have any of these things. I love talking about it. I love looking at the products, but I don't use them. Sorry. You're officially fired as a Fred. You know that, right? <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, I almost didn't want to tell you because you won't be my friend anymore. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I just work that much harder that much to convert really you. <laughs> No, I am looking at the next generation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait, because you know that uh, the next Garmin, well, that one does have power on it. Hey, everybody, it's David again. Sorry to jump in on you, but it was at this point where everybody's Skype connection completely dropped off. I know this sounds completely unprofessional, but after all, this is a podcast, so 
We're all dealing with a lot of new technology, and unfortunately, it didn't work as usual today. So it took a few minutes. We got everybody back on the line, and we got the show started once again. Here we go. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to get not not the current Garmin because it's it's well, it hasn't got enough stuff on it. it hasn't got uh, power measuring, so I'll go straight for the 3G, the third generation one, which has got power. So I, I will eventually get there, but I'm a, I'm a late adopter, I'm afraid. Now, I of course have heard the rumor that that the new Garmin's going to have power. I heard the rumor that it might have a color screen. Um, you know, I, that, I had the first generation. I have the second generation. You know. I'll have the third generation. <laughs> That's just the way I am. You are the dream you handle consumer. your toys too, David? Do, do your toys get filtered down somewhere? Uh, they get eBayed. <laughs> ah. Of course. Why, what, why did I even ask? What were you thinking? <laughs> I, I guess your question is, do I have one to send you? Is that your question? Well, mm, <clears throat> <laughs> I think that was probably the question. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Carlton. We'll talk. <laughs> Actually, I have to. I have to say publicly, Carlton sent me the the, the coolest uh, uh, cycling log I've ever seen, um, and it's it's entirely. I know you guys aren't going to believe this. It's entirely analog. It actually uses this thing called a pencil or a pen, and paper, and it goes on paper. to paper. Yeah, yeah, new technology. And I'm using it, so. Yeah. I, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I almost didn't send it to you because it's like, well, hang on, this is it's not, not digital. He's not going to use it. He's not going to use it. You see, we can influence each other. Yeah. I'm such a luddite. I still write all the steps. Amazing. Amazing. Well, listen, we are running over time, and I, I now have some editing to do because we had we had some, some dropouts on this call, so I've, I'm going to have to do a little bit of editing this afternoon, but I want to thank all of you. This has been a fantastic conversation and a great year in review. Uh, we... Um, so that the listeners know, we'll be taking a couple of weeks off. We'll be back early in January with, with our next show. Um, so let's just quickly go around the table and let everyone know where who, who everybody is, where you can be contacted, where you can be found. And, of course, if you want to give any holiday wishes, that, of course, would be appreciated as well. So we are going to start with our newest member, Donna. Why don't you tell us how people how can people find you? Can find you. Sure. Um, anyone can email me at tidbitsandmore at gmail.com. And um, I check my email several times a day and at night and on weekends. So I'm, I'm always available. I really appreciate you guys voting me into the, the new group here. And um, I hope everybody has a great holiday. And uh, give us your blog address again. Oh, sure. It's tidbitsandmore.blogspot.com. And then Tim and I can be found um, at bicyclemarketingwatch.blogspot.com. That's great. And Tim, um, how can people contact you? Where can they find your blogs? Oh, they can find me in multiple places. Mozzybikes.com is the company website. Mozzyguy.blogspot is the, uh, the Mozzie Guy spot. Uh, they can also, as Donna said, find me at the uh, uh, Kool-Aid site and uh, always available via email, tjackson at mozzybikes.com so they can get to me directly there as well. And uh, I wanted to, like Donna, thank you, David and Carlton, for having, having me join you guys. I've thoroughly enjoyed this and look forward to doing it many more times. Hey, we're looking to having both of you back on the show as often as you can. It's been great having you both on the show, so, so thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. And last but certainly not least, Carlton, tell everyone where you can be found. Well, I'm always on bikebiz.com, which is the industry news site. Uh, my email, however, is carltonreed, all one word, at mac.com. Unfortunately, my podcast is broken at the moment, and it's a Mac problem, and Macs never have problems. So Never? I, no, they never have problems, but this one is just beyond me. So eventually, it, it'll be on quickrelease.tv when I fix everything. But right now, you can't hear me apart from on The Spokesman. And that's a good place to hear you. And you know what? That's a, it's a good chance for me to mention our website, because it is where we put the show notes. And our website is wwwthe hyphen spokesman.com and for me I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast that's at www.thefredcast.com 
gmail.com. You can email me anytime at thefredcast at gmail.com. And while everybody was thanking me, I want to thank all of you folks and and the rest of our spokesmen who have been on this show this year. So uh, because it's it's you guys who make the show and. Uh, we talked earlier about content and how important content was and you are bringing the content and so I want to thank you for doing that it makes for a wonderful show and it makes my job just look really really easy and because it is because you guys are, are, are such great content providers and I appreciate your time and your efforts for this show and for the listeners you know if you don't already you should know that we appreciate you and we love the fact that you stay subscribed and that you tell your friends about the show because it only helps make the show that much better and so for you for the listeners i want to wish everyone a merry christmas happy holidays and a very very happy new year and so for all of us here at the spokesman for tim jackson donna tosi carlton reed tim grawl jeremy vaught and larry barker This is David Bernstein saying thank you. Have a very happy new year. We'll talk to you again in January. But until then, get out there and ride.